Have you been shadow banned by the liberal media? Free market got you down? Do you get ratioed on every Twitter post because of your shit takes on literally everything? Then producer Dave and HK are probably watching your three-hour dissertation on how a tomato cannot possibly be a fruit because gender and critical race theory can be cured with ivermectin. The Intellectual Dollar Tree, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific. Please leave it a one-star review on iTunes. Check out the rest of our schedule at ecoplexmedia.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media for beautiful food and inspiration.
everybody. Welcome to Down Ballot. We do this show live every Tuesday, almost every Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, right here on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash media. And since Twitch has unshackled us, we are now also simulcasting to YouTube, Facebook Live, and to kick.com, whatever the fuck that is. I'm Producer Dave. You can find me on Grinder. <laughs> this is the Councilman. You can find me on X at T-H-E underscore Councilman. And I have never fucking heard of whatever the fuck that last thing was, kick. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm sure I'll find it someday. Uh, and I'm, also, I just wanted to report that uh, COVID finally found its way into the... Uh, the uh, councilman home uh, the good wife came down with it last week but uh, luckily the councilman has somehow avoided it um bad baby's a little sick too so it's just a lovely lovely time over here lots of sniffling and snotting and all sorts of stuff so if you hear a bad baby in the background tonight listener viewer um you'll know what's going on well that's terrible i'm sorry that the the good wife got the uh, got the covid but i'm glad that y'all are uh, vaxxed up so that uh she you know isn't gonna die maybe her symptoms actually were probably less than mine with a bad cold. I had a bad yeah. cold. So, um, yeah, she was just really exhausted, but she's doing fine and she's testing negative now. So all good. Very nice. Very nice. Well, let's get going on this docket. What do we have for leading off? Well, story that just uh, popped up recently. We've had a couple weeks off, so there's been a lot happening, but, uh, it's local issues because the person in question is local. Um, but you might've heard that, uh, there was an attempt to take over an airplane, uh, <laughs> An Alaska flight by uh, a a pilot who was it looks like he were they were deadheading or what you know uh, flying along but not actually one of the pilots on the plane and we're gonna a little learn a little bit more about what caused this pilot to go a little bit trippy shall we say court documents showing what happened when an East Bay pilot tried to interfere with a flight to SFO that pilot expected to appear in court for the first time this afternoon to face federal charges the flight was on its way to San Francisco from outside Seattle Joseph Emerson from Pleasant Hill was riding in the jump seat in the cockpit and according to court documents the plane's pilots testified in affidavits that Emerson said quote I'm not okay that's when the pilots say he tried to pull red fire handles. And one of the pilots says he wrestled with Emerson and then asked him to leave the cockpit. Here's a piece of that in-flight audio. We've got the uh, guy that tried to shut the engines down uh, out of the cockpit. A flight attendant testified that Emerson told them, you need to cuff me right now or it's going to get bad. She says he went to the emergency exit and tried to grab the handle. She said she stopped him by placing her hand on his. The flight was then safely diverted to Portland where Emerson was arrested and told an officer he had taken psychedelic mushrooms. We caught up one of Emerson's Pleasant Hill neighbors. It's uh, really shocking. Um, I'm really glad that they were able to take care of everything. She's like, I've shroomed with him 15 times and he never freaked out on me. <laughs> and, uh, not jeopardize the passengers, but maybe that pilot needs some help of some sort. The FBI is now investigating this case. Emerson is scheduled to be in court this afternoon. He faces multiple counts of attempted murder and reckless endangerment. Ooh, attempted murder, my God. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. I mean, they just th throw the book at him. Um, it's interesting, the Chiron uh, on this story particularly said uh, pilot, or, you know, shuts down engines, Where, but uh, the story is that he tried to, but he was not successful. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what was going on there. I, for those of you who aren't familiar with the term deadheading, I think I picked it up from like, Catch Me If You Can, or that DiCaprio or a Spielberg movie, but basically a pilot who... Um, 
he's just moving, you know, needs to go from one city to another, uh, just hops a ride on one of his airlines or her airlines flights, right? Uh, in a, in a jump seat, um, but isn't actually flying the plane or even the co-pilot. So they're just there, um, but they are in the cockpit. So uh, this is this is potentially another threat that has been revealed. I think um, the good news is it looks like the security measures all worked, right? No one was hurt. Everything was fine uh, at the end of the day. Um, and it sounds like this dude had a real fun time. Um, but yeah, it's certainly something to, to worry about whether, you know, your, your co-pilot's on shrooms or if they're just, you know, stone cold sober. Um, you want to make sure anyone getting into that cockpit uh, is not trying to, you know, do anything nefarious with the plane, right? What would possess anyone to take mushrooms and then get on a fucking aircraft? That I don't know. I mean, I, it's it seems to me I'm I'm claustrophobic myself. So having done tons of uh, psilocybin and LSD in my my life, um, I can say this much: I would never go out on a trip, a metaphorical trip, um, without being in a safe space. And I'm I'm. I, Personally, I hate planes. I hate being in, uh, enclosed in a space like that already. So if I was tripping on shrooms, it'd be just a million times worse, and I probably would freak out like this guy did. So I don't know what would possess, especially a, someone who's going to be in the cockpit. Um, you know, unless, like you said, maybe he's just a, he's a regular and he thought he could handle it, and his neighbor his neighbor certainly thought he could handle it. Yeah, it's like um, I mean. I've seen people that drank on a plane who shouldn't have drank on the plane. Like, oh, yeah. That includes me. <laughs> mushrooms are like way more powerful. I mean, I've taken an edible before a flight because it was like, because I, it was like a nighttime flight and I was like, oh, maybe this will put my ass out. And it did yeah. actually. But yeah. like, you know, even if that would have made me a little bit paranoid, being on a plane would have sucked. Yeah, I absolutely. The edibles are almost a necessity for me um, on a plane, but it's, yeah, it's a totally different, it's a totally different experience, especially if you drop like some indica edibles, uh, you're going to be out in five seconds as opposed to, you know, wired and seeing your dead grandmother, you know, in the, in the cockpit, who knows? Um, so yeah, uh, kids don't try this at home. Yeah. Don't take best. fucking, don't take, don't take anything more than like a, like a weed edible <clears throat> or like a bong hit. Cause then you get, and, you might get slapped with like 180 counts of attempted murder. And then and, also like, also, like, don't get housed on the plane either. Don't get shit housed on the plane. You're less likely to do stuff like this, but you are likely to annoy the other passengers and the staff. And maybe one of the other people that's on the plane doesn't like flying, and you're just going to make it that much worse for them. So don't. If you're going to get shit housed. Get shit housed at the airport, and then right. well, when you hit the plane when you're on your way out of it, so that you just pass out. Yeah, that's the way to go. I've, I've never seen anyone drinking more having more than just the odd cocktail on a plane who has been tolerable <laughs> they, right. they, te they tend to get i think we're all cooped up and the tendency is to just start chatting right and then just getting really chatty and really chatty and really loud too um so for example the good wife and i we we certainly appreciate it when when people can just keep their conversations to conversation tone because right now we got we got the baby with us and we're trying to make sure that she's not annoying everyone else on the plane so yeah please please keep your keep your uh drug and alcohol consumption to um a minimum or to reasonable measures uh, when you're flying and then fly fly the friendly skies and take the shrooms in the forest not on the like in alaska not on alaska airlines <laughs> <laughs> right you should fly you should be flying to alaska or to portland in this case uh or from portland to, to sfo you should be flying to san francisco to wander around san francisco and golden gate park on shrooms which i've certainly done myself uh, yes yes times. Even though, right. even though that for me, that's not the ideal environment for that. It's certainly better than inside of an aluminum tube going like 600 miles an hour. <laughs> like, right. With, with whatever, 200 other people. Um, 
all cramped in there. So yeah, uh, good good advice. Good advice. We have uh, we have advice from the chat actually. If you're going to while out on the plane, take Spirit Airlines. <laughs> I think they encourage that actually. Um, yeah. I'm actually curious. I'm, I we should probably uh, look into following up on this. I want to see if I, I'm not sure if he's being charged with like an individual count of attempted murder for each passenger, or if it's just sort of one bulk, you know, charge. Because um, I could, I mean. Whatever it, it is, would, I, I imagine they're going to plead it way down, right? More than likely extenuating circumstances, nothing, you know, first offense, who knows. But um, I don't imagine he's getting away that easy just because this, this is obviously very sensitive. Also, we're going to go ahead and call this guy. Years. We're going to go ahead and call this guy a former airline pilot. Yeah, I think that's that's safe. That's a safe <laughs> bet. Um, I don't think he'll be flying the friendly skies anytime soon. Um, or sorry, Alaska is a uh, we care, right? Um, so uh, we care a lot, and we we care a lot so much that we were going to fire this guy. Um, so yeah, he'll have to find a new line of employment. But um, you know, who knows? I'm sure, and, there's, I'm sure there's something out there. Uber is looking for people. We're going to move on to the segment that I would have assumed this story would have been in, and that's winners and losers, where there are no winners, and if anybody wins, it wasn't who you were rooting for, but. You know, I don't arrange the docket for this show, and I'm glad that you do because I would be uh, bad at it. No, I think you've done you've done perfectly fine when when you've been tasked or tasked with doing it by my. So uh, up up next for winners and losers, we got an earthquake alert that goes out seven hours ahead of schedule. Which actually, I have some thoughts on this, but let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and run the run the video from the local news. Welcome back. Many of us were jolted awake around 3.20 this morning to the blaring alarm of an earthquake alert phone warning system. And while the test alert was planned as part of the great shakeout event today, it wasn't scheduled to actually happen until much later in the morning. KTV's Tom Vakar live tonight in Berkeley, right near the Hayward Fault, which geologists say Tom is overdue for a large seismic event here. Not just uh, near it, uh, directly upon it, as it's, uh, you know, snakes its way up through the East Bay, uh, really out to Sassoon Bay. Now, I'm looking at one of the Shake Alert apps here, and the earthquake shaking uh, apps are actually just in their primary stages, even though they've been released, and they're having some growing pains. They try to integrate many intricate technologies so that they can ultimately come up with, and hopefully soon, a delay-proof and an error-proof package. Seven hours early, at 3.19 a.m. Pacific time, millions of people in California, Oregon, and Washington got a rude awakening when the MyShake app on their devices said it was only a test. This was the test alert that was meant to be delivered at 10.19 a.m. Pacific time. USGS seismic scientist Robert DeGroote explains that someone inadvertently punched in the wrong time zone. Because there was a time zone error in the app that forced the alert to be delivered um, according to universal time. With that error corrected, Test as you can see on these six phones, no at 10.19 a.m. and within seconds of each no other, they got the alert. Some lighting up, others not. One phone got no alert, even though it had one of the two alert apps. Better things are coming all the time. We're continuously improving the systems. We did get a surprise shake alert, didn't we? And a lot of people dismissed it as a drill. Never dismiss those alerts as a drill. Always check your phone and always find out exactly what's going on. On BART, as the alert sounded at 10.20 a.m., operators slowed their trains down to 27 miles an hour, then came to a very brief stop. For folks at home, work, or school, the tried and tested reaction still holds. We need to have a plan. 
We need to sit down with our family and discuss what we would do if we're together when the earthquake strikes. Experts say the most important part of drop, cover, and hold is drop. Because with the earth moving beneath your feet, it's hard to stand up and protect yourself or get to safe cover. The members of the Amoroso family fully agree. Protect ourselves by putting our hands over our neck and going under our desk. We go under the lunch tables outside, but if we're inside, we just go under our desks. Great idea, especially for the kids to know how to handle themselves uh, during an earthquake. As a parent, we're not there when things happen. Now, in the Bay Area, the very worst could happen right here on the Hayward Fault, which is overdue for a major event, or, of course, the San Andreas on the ocean side of the Bay. It is, as we've learned, a monster. Reporting live from Berkeley, Tom Baker, KTVU Fox 2 News. And, Tom, compared to Loma Prieta, I mean, if we had a 6-8, a 7-0 on the Hayward Fault, do you think, do geologists think that the East Bay can handle something that strong? Well, the, the, uh, obviously the construction and the codes are far better than they are pretty much anywhere else in the world. Right. But there are a, older, a lot of older properties here, and not all of them have been retrofitted, so you can expect that there will be considerable damage, and very possibly fires, and very possibly other things, and that could overwhelm the mutual aid system. So unfortunately, we're going to have to see, but the more people can do to protect themselves, whether that's through direct action, hardening their houses and their businesses, or through the other way, trying to buy insurance, which Oh, it just randomly stops. So I have That's some thoughts on this. Um, Please. Just like an earthquake, that shit just happened at a time that it wasn't supposed to happen. Pretty much. Yeah. And it, it's it's actually, a, if anything, if you want to drill, right? If you really want to drill people and uh, get people to pay attention, don't tell them that the drill is coming, right? Like I've, uh, we heard about this thing for weeks and events. Oh, yeah, it's our annual, it's our annual MyShake app test drill. And it's like, I don't, yeah, I don't see the point of that. Like you should surprise people because the earthquake's going to surprise you too um but yeah cheers to the person who put it in utc time zone i know i have trouble i mean i have to sympathize i have trouble setting my google calendar all the time uh, when i travel you know and i get lost and forget you know what time it is and when i have a meeting so i can sympathize a little bit but uh yeah uh this is it if anything this is actually i think benefits uh them they could see i don't know if they can check to see how many people like open the alert that kind of thing but i imagine you know three nineteen in the morning probably got better uh, opens than 1019 because people are at work, they're distracted and they're like, oh, test, whatever. Or if they already got one at 319, maybe they'd be like, well, yeah, right. <clears throat> that'd have been fucked up if there was a, like an actual earthquake at 1019, I suppose. You know what I liked was the duck and cover drill too, where the people were just in the middle of like the rotunda somewhere. Like that's yeah. like, that's like the wrong place to be. <laughs> right. I'm just going to cover my neck. And when the enormous metal and glass rafters fall on my head you know I'm, i'll be fine because my neck won't be broken but every part, other part yeah, like, of my body will be broken and lacerated short of being able to get under like a sturdy desk or whatever find like a like a like a pillar on the outside of the building or like like a, a yeah. door frame something door frame. yeah that's that's typically what they the, they do tell you is if you can if there's a door frame nearby because those are typically the sturdiest you know spots in a home um if you're in a building i, I don't know what to tell you if you're on like the ground floor of a high rise but um yeah, uh, just be safe as much, as much as you can. But there's really nothing. It's it's an earthquake. You know, it's not like a fire. It's not like a flood where you can somewhat see, usually see them coming. You have some warning. You have a chance to get out, right, um, to evacuate. There really is no evacuation warning for an earthquake, right? You're you're going to have to go through it. What I do love is, I love this is what I love about local news the most. They put like the oldest 
you know, most technologically illiterate correspondent, obviously, on this story. I just to emphasize uh, the need to get their shit together. And then the they go back to the the uh, anchor. No wonder they cut the story off because they go back to the anchor. And the anchor always has to like, because they're not the reporter, maybe they have to have some sort of insider question to, you know, add on, right? Because to make them look good or smart or that they're paying attention. And this guy asks like, do you think that they're, the East Bay can withstand a 6.9 or 7.0 earthquake? Like, what kind of question is that? And as if this dude's going to, Tom is going to be able to answer that question either, right? Um, but yeah, like, no one, no one's really prepared and nothing's really prepared for a 7 earthquake. The, you know, we'll probably, it, we do a lot better here than we do in, like, you do in Bangladesh or places where there is no building code, right? And it also, and like, depends, like, not every 7.0 earthquake is the same. How long is it shaking at 7.0? Is it just right. a jolt? Or is right. it like sustained? Like we don't, that, that's a, that's a dumb question anyway. Yeah. Um, and, it, and, but we generally will do better. I mean, whatever you want to call it, better, less damage, less loss of life here in the Bay area or in you know America, as opposed to, like I said, like Bangladesh or, um, places that in the, the third world that just don't have, uh, building codes really at all. And, and folks are living literally like on top, on top, on top of each other in, um, very poorly constructed buildings. So like you saw in Turkey and Syria with their quake recently, like that's, same situation there and they, they there was massive loss of life but you would just wouldn't see that here which is good um but you just can never really be fully prepared just have a, have some sort of plan there right um there's a there. <clears throat> there's a famous clip of one mr dave rubin talking to joe rogan where dave rubin's like building codes are stupid and even joe rogan's like dude what are you talking about <laughs> like there's earthquakes and shit man he's like this this he's like the, 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 everybody will cut corners if they if they can <laughs> absolutely absolutely uh so yeah uh just regardless of all this um you know the tech is it's good to see new tech and hey a couple seconds warning not the worst thing in the world so download the app they'll fi they'll figure it out it'll get better um and yeah if you get woken up randomly at 3 20 in the morning you know go have a snack and go back to bed what's our next story well, that's a fantastic question, Producer Dave. I'm going to have to consult the doctor. Well, oh, sorry. So <laughs> Maybe we're gonna you have a should get a printer. <laughs> we're going to have a series of stories here about the uh, about San Francisco, uh, get, somewhat getting its shit together, but public safety in San Francisco in general. Um, so uh, the first story is um, we heard about Salesforce coming back to San Francisco not long ago, and uh, Mark Benioff especially was very pleased with how San Francisco had sort of cleaned up the area around Moscone. Um, well, now APEC is coming to San Francisco, and because there's world leaders coming to this conference, um, there's a lot more security that needs to happen, not just cleanliness around uh, convention center. So uh, some of the businesses uh, that surround the area are concerned about the level of security and how it might impact their bottom line. So we're going to learn more about that from KTVU. Thousands of people, including heads of state and major CEOs, set to make their way to San Francisco next month for the APEC conference. But many small businesses right near Moscone Center say they are left out of the plans. Nobody is ready for what is coming, and no one really knows what is coming. The city is planning a large security perimeter. It's a fucking conference. It's not Godzilla. On Moscone to accommodate all the dignitaries and world leaders, and that could actually be an issue for some of the businesses inside the corridor. Good evening, everyone. I'm Mike Meebach. And I'm Julie Hayner. Many streets will be closed to traffic, and that has small business owners worried. New at 6 tonight, KTVU's Crystal Bailey live in San Francisco after speaking with business owners about their concerns. Crystal. 
Well, Julie, the city is encouraging businesses to stay open, but I spoke to about half a dozen small business owners who tell me that they're worried because they don't know how to prepare or staff for this event. And restaurant owners actually tell me that there will be food provided for the attendees here at Moscone Center. So they're not even sure if people will visit the restaurants, especially the ones further away from the activity. Right now, there are more questions than there are answers. It's the highly anticipated boost San Francisco leaders are expecting for the city. This event is slated to be bigger than Dreamforce in its impact. But the APEC conference is going to disrupt commuters all over the city. It's going to pose a big challenge. With the highest security clearance closing vehicle and bike access to these security zones south of Market and Knob Hill. People will be allowed to walk into these zones to access their homes or workplaces, but they'll have to go through a screening at a security checkpoint. We don't really know what it's going to look like, uh, if it's going to be like waiting at SFO or Oakland Airport to, to board a flight. The owner of Doctors Orders Massage and Fitness says he didn't realize he was in one of those security zones, and he'll call all of his clients to prepare to wait in line at a security checkpoint and walk or reschedule their appointments. Since I do deal with class pass, I'll uh, um, make sure they notify them and I will mark myself out for that time frame. Restaurants in the security zone with fresh food deliveries will struggle to get supplies. Deliveries uh, of, of any product uh, coming in uh, will only be allowed between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m., uh, which is not necessarily normal delivery times for a lot of places. Some chefs saying they'll get their deliveries the week before, and as a result, will have to take meals with fresher ingredients like oysters <laughs> off the menu. I think that there would be a, a significant amount of business owners that would be, uh, if given the option, would sit this one out. City leaders are advising business owners and residents to build in extra time to get around and encouraging attendees to support small businesses while they're here. Now, about a third of the small business owners that I spoke to say they will be closing, specifically the ones at Metreon. The city tells me that they will be sending someone door to door to provide more information. And the Board of Supervisors will vote tomorrow to decide whether or not to provide more funding specifically to those uh, restaurants here within the perimeter. I'm live in San Francisco. Back to you, Julie. All right. Crystal Bailey reporting live for us tonight. Thank okay. You. She said a third of restaurants she spoke to, but she said she spoke to half a dozen restaurateurs. So the sample size there is six <laughs> correct um and so a third of that is what two two um, yeah so uh so it's a real going concern i would say um yeah it's 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 typical you hear this um there was there were other stories actually we could have pulled up um this week there was one about another like road diet or a bike lane that was gonna somehow ruin everyone's business on the street right because i don't know people are you know not driving past it 30 miles an hour, but like riding their bike past, you know, at a slower velocity and maybe able to stop and enjoy their business at some point. Um, so yeah, it's just, uh, it's to me, it's, they're looking for this handout, right? This is a way of like, we go to the press and we go to the, we, we complain and we gripe and, and yeah, it looks like they're getting a, a handout from the city to, to support themselves. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a conference, you know, and, uh, just, this is how, how they roll. They should be, if anything, you should be a, you know, smarter business owner and try to figure out how to take advantage of the, uh, uh, the situation as opposed to complaining about it in my perspective or if if you think that it's not going to work <clears throat> for your business <clears throat> maybe go to the conference people and be like hey write me a check yeah right like not why why does the city need to put the bill for that they're just trying to you know 
look out for the residents, look out for other businesses, right? So, um, by the way, Bad Baby has joined us. Hello, Bad Baby. Um, but yeah, I, uh, so again, it's it's m more feeding into this. Um, uh, they're just trying to play off the perception that San Francisco is you know falling completely falling apart um, and trying to use that to, to their advantage and to get a little more a little more payout from the city. So we'll 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 see what happens. I imagine that um, things are going to go off without a hitch and 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 shouldn't see any too many any malfeasance around the conference. But if anything, the malfeasance will happen inside the conference as opposed yes, to yes, yes, that's what I'm conference. saying. Um, the, 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 I would be worried about the um, the level of crime happening inside the conference. Correct. Yeah, but those are maybe um, uh, crimes against humanity, breaking uh, international law, <laughs> conspiring that, that, to violate the Geneva Convention. <laughs> yeah, those minor concerns. You know, I mean, it's not as bad as you know someone uh, shooting up outside or you know uh, jaywalking. Um, so we should we shall see. Um, but uh, as as mentioned, you know. We've we covered this a lot, but um, the state of San Francisco is certainly on a lot of people's minds, and it looks like uh, residents seem to have differing perspectives on how things are going in San Francisco. So we're going to hear a little bit more about that from our good friends at KPIA. And I'm going to give the band baby a bottle. You have no doubt seen a lot of talk about the demise of San Francisco, pointing to homelessness, crime, vacancies in downtown offices. You might even be a doom loop believer yourself, thinking the city will never pull out of the spiral it seems to be in. But not everyone is convinced that San Francisco is actually circling the drain. As Wilson Walker shows us, it can start to sound like dueling realities as this debate gets intense. The bottom oven at the slightly lower temperature is mostly to set the crust and kind of get the rise started. The oven is set, the goods are assembled, and the door is open for another day at Out of Sight Pizza, just celebrating its first birthday. It's crazy it's only a year. It feels like it's been five, probably aged five years too. Co-owner Peter Doran says it has not been easy opening a business in the heart of San Francisco's Tenderloin. The challenges in this neighborhood have made headlines around the world, headlines that often flat out describe San Francisco as a failed city. It, it feels good to be down here and it's, I don't feel scared or dangerous and like I said, I don't like that doom loop uh, from, from the news. It's the people that actually live and work and like fight for the city don't have that feeling. When I got here in the late 80s, AIDS epidemic, people were dying left and right. You know, the murder rate is three times higher than it is today. But you could, you know, it, we came back. Jim Osman isn't having any doom loop either. He has jumped into the ferocious online battle over the state of the city, arguing that the failed city is actually fiction spun by those who are only looking at the problems. There's people who are getting paid to do this, right? To, to just bash San Francisco. They take pictures of Tenderloin, they show people, you know, suffering the same four or five blocks, and they say, oh, this is San Francisco. You know, look at this, look at, look at Dolores Park, you know? So a lot of it's your perspective, right? Yeah, but you that's live. like a well-to-do white guy who uh, clearly lives in the Castro. Then Heights. <laughs> that's the other side of San Francisco, right? <laughs> right. Doing great. In fact, better than ever. <laughs> South Market, maybe a different story. South Market, different story, right? It's definitely not the same place that I'm used to. Definitely not, you know? Yvonne does live in South of Market, and she has lived here most of her life. I've been here many years, and it's, it's not the same place that I remember. Not at all. Not at all. 
that sense that the city has changed or taken a step backwards, that is something you hear often. And from different places, earlier this year, I met Jeffrey who is living on the streets in San Francisco and during our conversation, he offered this assessment of the city. San Francisco is not what it used to be by any means. I thought it used to be worse. When I first got here, I was like intimidated, but it, it wasn't. It was, it was like, it was a nice, a nice city. There's nice people here. There still is, but it's not like, this pandemic, the city's a mess. If you have heard this discussion, and I'm guessing you have, you know that it can sound like two different realities as people offer up diverging takes on what is actually happening in San Francisco. My sense is that what someone makes of the state of the city has a lot to do with who they are, where they are, and what direction they are looking. Are you comparing now to 2019? Are you comparing now to 1979? I think there's a lot of room for crosstalk here. And this debate can get very heated as it gets pulled into the gravity of San Francisco politics. I actually think what you're getting at is something that is probably the most important thing in American politics right now, not just San Francisco politics, is that we, you know, we create groups. We create us's and we create them's, right? That's Jason McDaniel's a political really science like professor at San Francisco State. He says the doom loop debate and the city's angry politics are the inevitable byproducts of a city that is facing a long list of very complicated problems. You know, is it homelessness? Is it fentanyl? Is it drug dealers? Is it drug dealers? Is it the police? Is it government? Is it incompetence at the bureaucratic level? Is it outsiders and tech people coming here and changing things? None of those are easy answers and none of those are easy solutions to very complicated problems. And I think people are very frustrated by that. It has been hard times in the city and even those who reject the doom loop idea acknowledge that there are big challenges. I think that downtown's gonna get worse before it gets better. Yeah, we have our problems, of course, but every major city has their problems. The scale of the problems may be a matter of perspective, doom loop, failed city, or city on the rebound, time will provide more headlines and eventually some answers. You know, I think that's the first time they've ever talked to someone who actually lives or works in the tenderloin on one of these. Right. I, I want to have that guy, that pizza shop owner on the show. Like they, he had the best perspective I think we've heard yet about it, right? Like if you, every city has problems and if you really care about the city and if you care about where you live and work, then, you know, you can see through the, the doom loop narrative and, and really, you know, it's anyway, you have a different perspective. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, so. <laughs> uh, we'll move on to the next story here. We have two SF billionaires um, reach into the the, the change in their um, in their couch and uh, launch a four million dollar campaign to boost civic pride. Fucking whatever. These are probably two billionaires who are on Twitter all the time complaining about the state of the city. San Francisco, where a new $4 million campaign aims to refresh the city's image and boost civic pride. Organizers acknowledge the city is facing some challenges, but tell reporter Dalin that San Francisco is still a city that people can be proud of. Forget about the national audience for a sec. Even locals here in the Bay Area have this negative image of San Francisco, and organizers are pushing back on that narrative, saying while San Francisco is working to fix those problems, there are a lot of good things happening here. Do me, do me, do me, do me, do me. 
The noise about San Francisco has been anything but positive in recent years. A struggling downtown with businesses closing, rampant drug dealing in the tenderloin, along with homelessness and car break-ins plaguing the city. I think the narrative is lazy. I think it's easy to say this is the worst part of the city, let's highlight that. But they're not highlighting the best parts of the city either. Monica McToto is an SF artist who's partnered with the It All Starts Here SF campaign. She and a team of volunteers are using art to highlight the Mission District. There's always so much color, smells, food, taste, and I really wanted to bring that to life here in this mural. Artists from 11 San Francisco districts are showcasing each district's unique unique qualities in this festival to kick off the Civic Pride campaign. It All Starts Here SF is funded mostly by two local billionaires, tech CEO Chris Larson and Bob Fisher with The Gap Clothing Company. This is not marketing or sweeping our problems under the rug. This is about bringing folks together, exemplifying our pride and showing the nation that we always come back. Where grit Organizers will be buying and running ads in local traditional media and social media in the coming days. The ad highlights San Francisco as an innovative and creative hub that's changed the world. That launched railroads, electric streetcars. Mayor London Bree really up before. the streets and tackling crime to restore law and order. Part of what we have to do along with a campaign like this is ensure safety or even the perception of safety. Some businesses. You no, know, that's actually what you're more interested in. Citing retail. We'll, we'll get more into that later. Others are still investing in the city, like IKEA. Shotomate opened a huge, high-end rooftop restaurant in Union Square this weekend. Get people excited about San Francisco, and part of it is you have to counter some of the negativity with some of the positivity and what's going on. As for Monica, she's optimistic San Francisco will make a comeback. I think it's still a world-class city, and I also think it's up to us and the people that come to visit to take care of this place as if we do love it. Some say while it's great to boost people's morale, they say the real solution to fixing San Francisco's image is to clean up the streets and bring businesses back to downtown. You're not going to bring the same businesses back to downtown, though. Right. I mean, the retail, the economy in general has just changed in so many ways um, that, you know, it's it's not going to be the same. Right. And I think it, it seems to me that so many cities and uh, are, are trying to bring back what has left instead of thinking about how they can evolve and base, you know, and accept reality of where things have headed and embrace it and try to leverage, you know, where things have, have gone to benefit themselves and to think ahead, right? So many industries, be it journalism, be it retail, you, you name it, that have been impacted by the internet, right? Um, over the past 30 years and uh, have failed to really think ahead and they've gotten beat, right? Like there's a reason why local journalism is failing and local print media is failing is because they didn't adapt with the times, right? And they they, they held on too tightly to uh, to old notions. So yeah, you're not gonna bring it, bring it back. and. It, more baldy to these guys for you know trying to shine a, a brighter a, you know more positive light on the situation i guess they're kind of like if that pizza owner in the tenderloin had billions of dollars maybe he would run these kind of ads i don't know but um you know it it, it just seems it seems like uh we're we're, we're clamoring we're fiending for a, a, a world that's just not coming back and maybe really didn't even ever exist you know sometimes we look at these things in with rose-colored glasses we look at the past and it's always greener than the, the grass is always greener there than it is now. So.
And but, I think a lot of people moved into South of Market not understanding what the fuck South of Market is was when they moved into South of Market. South sure. of Market is 1015 Folsom. South of Market is a bunch of gay bars and clubs. South of Market is a bunch of illegal parties. South of Market, South of Market is is the gateway to the fucking to the fucking like to um Hunter's Point where all the raves are and shit and where like where they used to say that was the bad part of the city. And right. like <clears throat> Yeah, the end up is there. The fucking the stud is the stud's coming back and it's gonna be in South of Market. The people that moved there wanted to move to like Pleasanton smack in the middle of fucking San Francisco. And sure. That that's sure. not what South of Market was. The first time South of Market like failed was because all the industry left and it was replaced with world class entertainment. DJs and, and musicians from all over the world wanted to play at these clubs in South of Market. Ten fifteen Folsom is a world class legendary venue. And it's still there, and nobody talks about it. Sure, I mean, you know what they do talk about is all the development happening around, like the ballpark and the the Warriors Arena and all that lovely, you know, growth happening on South Third Street and Bayview in that area. Um, but yeah, like you said earlier, you know, uh, the previous story, and I so much apologize. My cop decided to come out at the worst possible time. Um, it really does depend on your perspective, right? And where you live, even within a city, right? Like there are different neighborhoods with different vibes and different problems and different uh, uh, positives and pros and cons. And, you know, I think we all get used to sometimes in our little nook and corner of the world, right? And we don't necessarily see the forest for the trees, but it is going to depend on your perspective and uh, as a person, your biases, and then where you live uh, and what you see every day outside your front door, right? And you're right. I think that some folks, a lot of times, not just Soma, but anywhere really, even in San Jose, I've noticed um, folks move to a neighborhood and they don't, I, I don't, it's like they don't do their research or they don't, you know, really know what they're getting into or they don't understand what they're getting into. And it, yeah, it's not what they, they expected, right? But that's not the city's fault. That's not the, the city, like writ large, not the city government, but it's not the city's fault. It's not San Francisco's fault that you don't like where you live. Um, it's just, that was your choice, right? And, and, it's a city that has as its issues just like anywhere else. And you got to roll with those just like you roll with the good stuff, everything. There's so many great things about San Francisco and about cities and about living in a city. Um, even San Jose, uh, that to me outweigh the, the, you know, whatever negatives you might perceive, uh, about it, but it's, it's almost like it goes, it all, like we talk about a lot. It goes, it all goes with the territory, right? Um, if you want a nice quiet pastoral existence, like move to pleasant Hill, right? There's a reason why it's called pleasant Hill. Right. Or um, even just where I live, like I, and I was a little surprised by this place because the food, oh my God. But, um, um, but that's, you, you better like Indian, Ethiopian and, um, um, Afghani food. But like, I'm I was also thinking the original, the first tech boom or the first tech boom of our lives, because there were tech booms in, so in what we call Silicon Valley prior to the nineties, right? There was like the integrated circuit boom and there were other, there were other booms, right. but the first internet boom was accompanied by like a kind of a, like a, a dank, dark underbelly where there were like fucking illegal warehouse parties every weekend in Oakland, Friday and Saturday night with tens right. of thousands of people at them. And the, the second, the second boom, I guess we'll call it the web 2.0 boom came with the police cracking down on that. And then this third boom, I guess that we're about to hit the AI boom or whatever. Nobody's even thinking of doing that. And I just feel like, I feel like, <clears throat> I don't know for sure, and it might be like some nostalgia on my part, but I feel like there's there's a way in which maybe the tech boom and the kind of darker, danker, louder underbelly of the of the Bay Area like 
were like synergistic in a way, like where you had to have the the, the form of the latter, or you couldn't really have the former. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely. Uh, I think you're right. You know, like like we were saying, every what is it? Newton's law. Every reaction has an equal and opposite reaction, right? That's um, there's like a nexus point between the good and the bad, and you just have to find, you have to find that and and that that balance and every, every thing that's great about a city is going to come with consequences um, on the back end, right? Um, so uh, yeah, I think the more we get comfortable with that, the the better. And it's just it's just not surprising that. Uh, you know, we we see different per, varying perspectives. You see um, varying takes because you're having people influenced in a lot of different ways. But I mean, most people are influenced by what they see out their front door. But then what they see on the news, right? If they don't go out at all, they stay. They just watch the news. And if they only watch the local news, God, you think the world was falling fucking apart? That's what we right. do on this show: is cover local news. So if, if you only watch the clips and you don't listen to us discussing the clips, you would think the world was falling apart. Um, and it's it benefits these news stations, at least they think so, to make that case and to push that narrative because it helped you know people tune in people tune in to see the car wreck or as we'll cover later vehicle versus structure um but they don't necessarily tune in for and another thing right for the for the good human interest story or the positive story or something and they don't cover enough of those stories um I mean, and maybe it's because they think maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where they don't think people want to hear it so they don't push it out um and all people end up hearing is negative right and they don't hear anything positive like <clears throat> i had my the last time I played at DNA lounge, um, the person, the person I was like, Oh, you know, whatever. I was like, I was like, uh, one of my friends was like, Oh, you know, I'll drive. And I was like, Oh, let's, t- let's take transit and just grab a, grab a hotel room or something, you know? And then, then they, then they were, they insisted on driving <clears throat> we didn't get a hotel room. And then the day of they're like, Oh, I don't want to drive to San Francisco. My car's going to get broken into. And this person's a musician. And I'm like, you're a musician. You're like you're you're the person who's supposed to go to San Francisco, right? Right. That's I mean it's exactly right. Um, so if I, I, my only concern is that this just this does, like you said, it, it sort of it, it prevents the people who you know would benefit from and would would really enjoy living in a city or living in San Francisco from even considering it. As an option, right? Um, or city, or cities in general. But I think, San, I mean, San Francisco obviously is in the crosshairs in a lot of ways nationwide, and always sort of seen used by the right as a sort of pincushion, right, for um, you know liberal liberal uh, crazies and liberal values. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm I worry that this narrative of, of people leaving and 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 fleeing the city and and finding other greener pastures. Just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy right I mean, i'm um, here for it i want to move back to san francisco fucking get out like yeah. if you don't if you don't like it there get the fuck out that's entirely why especially i mean it's so bloody expensive to live in the bay area in the first place right <laughs> so like why in the world if you if you're really if it's really that bad if you really think it's that awful find it you can probably find a place that's a lot more affordable and where you're not spending you know half your salary on rent um and and, and probably feeling you know a little, a little better about about things um if that's what you're looking for right we pay the premium because this is at the end of the day a really great place to live um climate entertainment what what have you right people diversity food i would love to come get some afghan food with you by the way i think i'm going to come up next week and do that um once i get better uh but yeah that get like he said get in stay get out if, if you if if that's how you really think and um but if you really believe in san, san francisco and, and the bay area like the pizza shop owner said just you know, 
keep but, on keep on plugging away and don't believe the hype. I also think there's something else going on where people just want to act like they're like better than everybody else in San Francisco, sort of like, oh, I live here, but I'm better than the other people here. I don't know if that makes sense. There's a way in which they want all the food and all the all the amenities, but they also want you to know that they're better than the other people in San Francisco. Sure. Like they, you know, because they live in Potrero Hills. So suddenly, you know, they or even the Castro, maybe. Right. No, yeah. Especially, especially the Castro. Um, and no, you're right. I, th- I think that there is kind of a privileged factor there and, and, a uh, a bit of an ego factor there too. Um, but I mean, we all love our neighborhood, right? We all love where we, we hopefully do. Love I mean, I don't really have a neighborhood anymore, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, or we try to have pride in where we're from. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, it's good to it's good to have a broader perspective. It's good to realize that what's happening outside your front door is not indicative of the greater world, um, and certainly what's on the local news is not indicative of what's happening in in the greater community all the time or most of the time. But that's why we're here to break it down for you. So we're going to move on to the next story here. We got a Silicon Valley CEO gets eight years in prison after uh, what appears to be some kind of COVID fraud, COVID yeah, testing this is like, fraud. This is Theranos adjacent. So we'll just let the news play out here. Valley Medical Technology Company was sentenced to eight years in prison and ordered to pay $24 million for being involved in a fraud scheme related to coronavirus testing. Now, 60-year-old Mark Sheena is the president of Ariat. Uh, it's a biomedical company in Sunnyvale. No, I can see what's wrong. They're just out of focus. ...administered faulty COVID-19 tests and then bundled them with unnecessary allergy tests while lying to his investors. He's accused of submitting $77 million in false claims for the testing. The California... De- Whoa, $77 million. That guy's fucked. Yes, um, and I don't know that he got any investments from like Henry Kissinger or anything, but uh, oh, or, man. former Secretaries of State, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering who his investors were, but yep, just uh, be, be careful. Be careful when, when you're looking for easy ways out and easy tests and easy anything. Um, don't, don't believe the hype. Yeah, that yeah, baby says, sure. don't believe the hype. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I just, what a horrible time to like lie and grift. And, they, and apparently, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't hear anything about this person like defrauding any war criminals. So I'm like very much yeah. against it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, absolutely. Of all the of all the things to to grift on, right? There's so many just things that you know deserve to be taken advantage of and uh, and. Uh, used as a money-making tool, but this is COVID. This is a, a global pandemic, hundreds and thousands, millions of people dead. It's just not, not. It's bad form, bro. It's bad form. So, so uh, we're going to move on to a get your shit together. And it looks like the Vallejo Police Department is having some more trouble. They're going to be they're under a five-year state oversight because they need to make some reforms. Um, I don't know this is this is good though. This is where like higher levels of government are sort of necessary. Like how our how our system of like you know small local governments, slightly bigger county government, and then slightly bigger than bigger state government. And then this is like what it's supposed to do, actually. So, Correct. Yeah. So you know, not pictured here. I don't know if they're going to show it, but it's the the last straw was I think that there was video of a Vallejo cop punching some a, a woman that uh, they had pulled over for a traffic violation so it's just pretty bad in Vallejo so we're going to find out more about what the uh, AG is doing uh, to try to resolve this 
California Attorney General Rob Bonta announcing a new agreement with the city of Vallejo and the Vallejo Police Department. Each of us is here because we are committed to serving and protecting the members of this community. The stipulated judgment outlines reform to VPD's policies and practices. It builds off a prior memorandum of understanding that expired in June. To date, the Vallejo Police Department has substantially complied with 20 of the 45 recommendations. Progress for sure, but also not enough. The new five-year plan requires VPD to comply with all 45 recommendations, as well as additional reforms related to bias, use of force, searches, seizures, and arrests. It also adds accountability components, including an oversight and reform evaluator who will assess if VPD is complying with the agreement. Interim Police Chief Jason Ta addressed concerns regarding staffing shortages. It's going to be a challenge. And explain why VPD missed the mark in the prior agreement. Well, we learned in hindsight was a lot of these reforms had to be d completed at the same time. Initially when we started our our efforts we were working it chronologically. The previous MOU was entered into days after a Vallejo police officer shot and killed Sean Monterosa from the back seat of an unmarked police vehicle. Wait, what? Sister Michelle says she's Yeah, we had that on down below, I think. There was a time when we didn't hear anything from anyone. Monterosa's sisters have been advocating on his behalf for the past three years. All our pleas haven't gone unheard, not just our families, but communities. And to see this collaborative agreement come forward is just a testament to all the work that everyone has done. During the announcement, there was little said about the AG's investigation into Monterosa's death. We're looking to Monterosa, of course. But his sister says that's okay. They are patiently waiting. When things are rushed, they're not always done right. So, you know, our family has always grounded ourselves in understanding that when the time is right, we'll get the answers we need. The new agreement has the full support of the Vallejo City Council and mayor who said it could become a roadmap for others. As we build together the successful transformation of the Vallejo Police Department into the first California Police Department to be a daily living example of the highest level of police professionalism in the state of California. The mayor called on the Vallejo Police Officers Association to support what needs to be done perhaps even faster than five years. I reached out to the Vallejo POA for comment and have not yet heard back. In the newsroom for the IT, Melanie Woodrow, ABC 7 News. Oh, you know who I, hates this is the Police Officers Association. Yeah, I don't I don't think Melanie is going to be getting a response anytime soon. And if she does, it's not going to be a very pleasant response. It'll be a poop uh, emoji. <laughs> correct. <laughs> That'll be it, right? Or just a bag of poop. Who knows? Um, yeah, so uh, good on the state for stepping in. Um, like you said, checks and balances are always good. It sucks that it had to happen in the first place, right? You, But nothing... I don't think any of us are surprised at this point um, between Vallejo, Fairfield, San Francisco, San Jose, you know, just seen um, all it's just policing is fucked in this country. Right. And, and uh, law enforcement is corrupt and uh, not maybe not maybe not every cop is a bastard, but there's certainly quite a few out there. And this is the system. It's designed, as we've talked about before. I mean, the argument there is create. if one chooses to participate in that system, then they are complicit in that system. So correct, yeah, correct, and, and then and that goes right up to the elected officials and everyone who's who lets them skate. Right, we're going to get into that in down ballot in just a second. Not just skate, but um, you know, elected officials who prop them up and try to give them even more power, right, and try to defer even more to to law enforcement. So um, it's good to see this happening in Vallejo. Um, 
in a way we mean really like a national reform of, of law enforcement. Um, but you know, good luck, good luck getting that to happen anytime soon. But, um, a reckoning is upon us and is coming, but it's, it's going to be slow and methodic, methodical, and it'll have fits and starts like the George Floyd and uh, protests and black lives matter. But, um, you know, I think that on the whole perceptions are changing and, and attitudes are changing, but it's going to take some, some time. And it's just funny to see all these elected officials standing up, you know, uh, to look like they're just so woke and they're just, they're moving, you know, they're doing such, they're doing such a good thing when more than likely they were just letting these things slide and not really paying much attention until someone got hurt. We did cover that story though. I, I do recall that um, when the, you, you remember it's the, the cop shot the dude through the window of it. Like he, he shot out the window of his car yeah. and shot the, the suspect like through the window, um, through the backseat window. Uh, so obviously he would think the suspect was a massive threat to this officer who was, you know, locked in his, in his police, uh, vehicle. So, I mean, um, not for nothing. That is some fancy shooting. I mean, yeah, for, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, if you can get that <laughs> done, I don't know how much the, the broken glass, like the flex bullets or that kind of thing I'm guessing, but, um, yeah, you gotta, gotta be a pretty good marksman to hit someone from the other side of the backseat window. Um, all right, um, we're going to move on to the down ballot watch segment part yes, of the sir. show. This is where it is more directly about local politics, where we are covering city council meetings and uh, local government officials and uh, the basically the things they are saying and doing and enacting in their cities. And this first one is uh, Mayor London Breed uh, put, put a ballot measure to uh, give the police more power in San Francisco because, you know, all the big cities are defunding the police. Right. So why, why not just fall in line with that, right? Back here in the Bay Area, San Francisco police could get more power and more tools to fight crime. Mayor London Breed announced a safer San Francisco ballot measure for the March 2024 election. But not everyone is on board with this proposal. Our Jose Martinez is here to explain. Jose? Well, guys, I spent some time in the center of the Mission District where safer San Francisco sounds like a needed plan to address public safety. But there's concern over the possible impact it could have on communities of color. I'm here in the center of the mission where safer San Francisco sounds like a needed plan to address public safety. But there is a concern out here. Looks hella dangerous to me. Impact it could have I know, communities right? of color. It's the newest plan from the city to fight crime. We are introducing today is a change that is necessary, a change that recognizes that we have evolved, a change that recognizes that we want safe streets in every part of San Francisco, in every neighborhood. We want to see change in San Francisco. Mayor London Bay refers to a safer San Francisco ballot measure for the March 2024 election. The measure would give officers access to technology like drones, ease restrictions and police chases in the city and reduce paperwork requirements for officers, but not everyone thinks this is a good idea. Policing doesn't equal safety. Um, the Supreme Court themselves has said that just because you're a police officer doesn't mean that you're responsible. Um, and it, as a result of that, has meant that it doesn't necessarily bring more safety to communities. We met with Delta Medina right in the heart of the mission, where she works as a community leader. She says over-policing has already caused enough damage to communities of color. There is policy paper after policy paper. There are study after study that shows that so often over-policing doesn't create more safety. And who gets to be over-policed and how they get to be over-policed also falls around racial, class, and economic lines. Her biggest concern is the use of technology. 
Right now, SFPD officers cannot use city-owned and operated cameras and drones to prevent, investigate and solve crimes. But if this measure is approved, those policies will change. And she's afraid that these tactics could create more incidents like the Dolores Park Hill bomb back in July, where officers clashed with hundreds of teenagers, resulting in arrests and lawsuits. The hill bombing that happened a couple of months ago, this is a place where young people were corralled by police, uh, harassed, uh, parents weren't notified, uh, people's civil rights and young people's civil rights were violated. But even though the city promises that it will all be done while protecting civil liberties and data retention, Deldup says she's expecting a major campaign so people can understand what this means. And Deldup tells me she will stay on top of this issue, having more conversations with the community. So the part in there that was most concerning to me was they were like, oh, and uh, re re like reducing the regulation around police chases. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> What's that all about exactly? Uh, yo, we were yo, San Francisco is a pretty, pretty uh, intense place to drive. And it, so already, yes. if, if somebody flees from the cops what you're doing you're not just doubling the if the police uh chase them you're not just doubling the number of people traveling at an unsafe speed maybe if somebody flees the cops they're only driving unsafely for a couple blocks if the cops are like well we're not going to chase you have your license plate number we're going to find your ass fuck you like if there's no bomb in their car or whatever like and but this this like would dramatically increase the number of people traveling at an unsafe speed and it seems just like a bad idea. Like, it sounds like this is like the cowboy cop initiative. Yeah, it's almost like a reversal. Like in that specific thing with the, the chases, I, most from what I've heard, standard practice now or is moving towards, yeah, less less of that, right? And using other other tools to uh, capture these folks and not, not pursuing, right? Uh, because of the threat to public safety, because it's so uh, general safety, right? Um, you capture the one criminal, but you end up, uh, you know, hurting so many more people. So uh, yeah, this just seems again, like not, uh, not so much overkill, but just like a reverse or going step backwards. Um, and not really, you know, and, and not really conducive with setting a new tone for policing. But as I kind of noted in the, the docket tongue in cheek, you know, it's not as though this is, this is completely on brand for mayor breed uh, and for DA Jenkins, um, they are, they've absolutely branded themselves as tough on crime, pro cop, um, you know, elected officials. Uh, and that's part of their, that's, that's part of their, their game plan, their, uh, their values, their talking points. Um, so it's entirely makes perfect sense for, for London Bree to pitch this. And it makes perfect sense for her to pitch it for the March election when you're going to have a much more conservative electorate, a smaller electorate, right? So the people who it's going to impact the most, like Del Depp, Medina, and all of her constituents in the mission and all the black and brown people in San Francisco, they just don't vote at a high, at as high a, a, a number in primary elections, especially like March, random ass March primary elections. Um, you would, if, if you wanted to have a more, uh, diverse electorate and more representative electorate, you would go for a November ballot. So they deliberately are targeting November or, or March because they want this to pass and they they want to have a, an electorate that's going to pass it. Right. Um, so it's, it's really shady on all fronts. And I, I, it's just, it's incredibly disappointing to see from, from mayor breed, but it's like I said, it's, it's in line with her, her narrative already. So I, I can't say that um, she's not off, she's not off brand, um, but she's certainly off my brand. And I don't know what they mean with the drones. I feel like there's a way in which actually a drone could be an alternative to a police chase if used properly. 
Sure. <clears throat> because yeah. the drone, like they're not even going to see the drone. And then like, you can't outrun the fucking radio. And so right. Right. like, but again, like, you know, we have these cases in the past where like the, the problem is like you start giving that drone camera feed to the news and now the shit's a fucking, now the shit's like a spectator sport or something. Right. And so I just see ways in which it's bad to like, oh, for more generally to give the police drones. But if we could, if they could be deployed, if people flee in, in dense areas to avoid high speed chases, I feel like that would be like a, a harm reduction measure, but I feel sure. like that's not what they want the drones for. No, absolutely. More, more okay, not absolutely, but more than likely not. I don't know their, their true intentions, but yeah, I think you're, you're dead. Right. Um, and yeah, we should, we absolutely should use technology, um, to, help people to save, you know, save damage and, and protect the, the general uh, public. Um, but yeah, more, more often than not, the tech has been and can be used for, um, that are, are not that right. And to, to make, make us more of a surveillance state and a police state. I just don't think that's where we need to be right now. Um, and I think, I think the majority of people would agree with us in that, in that regard. Um, but again, the majority of people don't vote and the majority of people certainly don't vote in March elections. So I venture to guess that if they get this on the ballot, it's going to pass. I don't know that she can, I guess maybe with mayor's executive powers in San Francisco, I don't know exactly how that works. I, she might be able to put this on the ballot unilaterally without like a vote of the board of supervisors, but generally you get on the ballot by having a vote of the, you know, the council or the elected officials in that jurisdiction or, uh, the people sign a petition, you know, to, to put it on the ballot. So sounds like she's trying to just do this unilaterally which might be in, within her powers as mayor i don't particularly know because i'm from san jose where we don't the mayor doesn't have that kind of power and we're going to find out more about that in the next story segue up up next is uh, mayor ed 209 talking about san jose's top issues yes this is his state of the city address jose mayor matt mahan gave his first state of the city address this weekend he talked about some of the top issues the city is now facing and how he plans to fix them ktvu south bay reporter la monica peters live now in san jose with more from mahan's address la monica Julie, the mayor talked about key issues like making San Jose safer, mental health and homelessness, emphasizing that we all must work together to make San Jose a city where everyone can thrive. By coming together and supporting our small businesses, tackling trash and graffiti, helping our homeless neighbors, and keeping each other safe. In his first State of the City address, San Jose Mayor Matt Mahan spoke Not exactly a full house. College Saturday. <laughs> the event began with acknowledgments from the presidents of San Jose City College and its associated student government. We invite the community to join us in addressing the pressing needs and affordability of, for all of our students. For together, we can create a brighter future. After performances and presenting Community Hero Awards, Mayan spoke about getting back to basics, including doing things like beautifying San Jose. Since taking office, my team has hosted a cleanup nearly every week, activating 2,914 volunteers and taking nearly 200... So that sounds like a Scientology event where, like, we have spread 2,000 books. <laughs> yes, With yeah, L. Ron Hubbard's technology. You know? He's very much about metrics, and you know, uh, oh, we've responded to you know X number of thousands of constituent concerns. With our like Salesforce style automated response mm -hmm. system, right? <laughs> that categorizes your your complaint and plugs you into a, a a series of emails that you'll get to respond to your complaint. That's not really even a human. So yeah, that this is entirely in line with Ed 209's vision for the city. Thousand pounds of trash 
Lots of trash. Taking nearly 200,000 pounds of trash off our streets and out of our creeks. The mayor also talked about improving safety by hiring more police, the use of speed safety cameras, and tackling retail theft. We've recently collaborated to update the booking process to ensure that the DA and Superior Court judges have sufficient information when making critical decisions about prosecution and release or detention. Addressing one of the city's most pressing issues, Mayan talked about how his administration is dealing with homelessness and the path to get more people off the street. This year alone, we've issued permits for 842 new affordable apartments, opened over 150 and have over 1,000 more in the pipeline. That's 842 apartments, not 842 apartment buildings, just so everybody's clear here. Correct. The mayor also talked about a new urban planning fellowship with San Jose State, State University that will bring fresh new talent into the city. And he talked about improving the building <coughs> permit process so that we can have more housing built faster. Julie? Yeah, something the Bay Area desperately needs. LaMonica, thank you. Well, Once again, LaMonica looking good. I just got massive David Miscavige vibes from him when he was talking, to be perfectly honest. Like, though, there's just the way he was talking about the metrics and stuff. It wasn't. It was absolutely just vibes based. Can you give me a little more? I'm not familiar with with uh, Mr. Miscavige. He is the uh, the president of the and the, the ecclesiastical leader of the cult of Scientology. Ah, great. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I definitely get the cultish vibe off of uh, Mayor Matt. I have from the beginning with his revolution of common sense, which is such a great misnomer and such an oxymoron. Um, yeah, no, again, this is entirely. This is his world, right? He comes from a tech startup background. He comes from uh, that's you know this, that VC space where they're all concerned about the, the numbers and the you know how can you become more efficient? How can you spend less of my money and make me more money? Um, in this case, it's being applied to the public sector, which is kind of ridiculous because it's not really the point. Um, the point of the public sector is really to break even, right? With and and use all the resources you get to do things for provide services for people. Um, it's not about making investors profits, right? It's not about it's not about maximizing your return. Um, so this it, this idea of running government like a business, while it sounds good in a you know a sound bite or in a campaign slogan, it certainly has no place in practice, right? And in reality, if, if anything, you run a, a city more like a, or a government more like a nonprofit. Uh, as opposed to a, a for-profit business where you are just, you know, you, you, you bring in the revenue that you need to do the, to provide the programs that you provide and you adjust um, year to year, really. Um, so and all of this really is in service to him trying to prove that in the, because he's only dealing with a special two-year mayoral cycle term, right? He has to get reelected next year after being elected last year. Um, it's all in service just, you know, proving his worth and, and, and making him seem, uh, you know, like he's been productive and he's gotten things done. Um, but you know, who's listening really, as you can see, like that, that room was pretty sparse. Um, there were a lot of chairs, a lot of chairs, but not a lot of people. Um, I recall I, I went to a number of mayor Licardo's also not unlike a Scientology and, event, <laughs> right? <laughs> maybe they're all invisible. Maybe they're, they're all in the fourth dimension. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember going to a number of Mayor Licardo's states of the city and they were packed. Like there was not an empty seat in the house um, and much bigger room. So uh, maybe it's just lack of uh, you know, marketing savvy or maybe people just aren't interested in, in what, he's, what he's selling. Um, or it was on a Saturday, you know, and it was raining. So 
who knows but uh we'll, we'll it's yet to be seen if he even has a serious challenger in uh the election next year he could get reelected in march uh in the primary because it doesn't look like anyone is stepping up to to challenge him. Yeah, it's too um, late in the game, honestly. I don't think anybody's coming. Yeah, the only person that Cindy Chavez would be the only person who would have the capacity to do it in terms of you know raising money, having the name ID, and she lost to him just last year. So it's not as though that's going to change a whole lot, especially in a March election. So there will probably be some. I'm sure someone will file. Like you know, my my gardener will probably file to run against him. Um, but yeah, no, no one's serious. So it's, it's all just him clearing the field at this point. I did get, I did get a text from his campaign today, Jennifer from Matt Mahan's campaign. Uh, so they want, wanted to know if, uh, I'll be supporting Matt in the election so we can keep San Jose focused on the basics like safe streets, cleaning up blight and ending the era of encampment. And I already know that their data is corrupt and that their data analysis is screwed up and their, their work is screwed up because Throughout the campaign last year, I would get these texts and I would respond every time, like, go away, go to hell, stop, right? And they kept texting me, kept mailing me things, they kept me on their list. So I don't know if he's trolling me or <laughs> because he knows, because the mayor knows me personally. Um, we went to the same high school uh, or if it's just they're incompetent. I would like to think it's the second um, that I'm not being trolled because I don't think I'm that special. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, this, and we got this next story. This is uh, this week in vehicle versus structure. There's two things I like about this. Uh, one, the still, the still of it is the same color scheme actually that I'm running right now in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> but two, with Halloween coming, this is a very Halloween uh, sort of story, actually. Maybe that was what they had in mind. Who knows? But yeah, we're going to find out more about that. There were actually three different vehicle versus structure stories we could have chosen from this week. I thought this was the most appropriate. Lieutenant man is now behind bars after San Bruno police say he stole a car and crashed it during a chase. It happened around 2.30 Friday morning when a man reported his car had been stolen near the Rollingwood neighborhood in San Bruno, just west of I-280. As officers went to the scene, they say they saw someone driving the stolen car. And soon after officers gave chase, the thief reportedly crashed the car into a fence at Golden Gate National Cemetery. The car was totaled. Police say the 23-year-old suspect was taken to the hospital before being booked into San Mateo County Jail on several charges. Holy shit! <laughs> I'd say the cemetery won. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Good on the cemetery. <laughs> fucking, oh, that's great. Fucking, fucking, that shit. Uh, those people are dead, but they're not incapable of flipping a car over. <laughs> Hell no, that's fantastic. Good, good on them. Good on them. Well, we will. Um, we uh, if we don't have a vehicle versus structure story in the next come up in the next week, I'll revisit the the others that we did have. But it seems like it's becoming more and more prevalent. So I don't know. If, and it's not driverless cars. Remember, these are all. It's almost exclusively human driven cars that we're talking about here. So um Cruz may have lost his license, but it's the people that are driving into cemeteries and consulates and, and retail stores. A self driving car would actually get away from the police. Probably. I mean a self driving car you would think would stop short of crashing into a building or a cemetery, especially a cemetery. Um it'd have a little more sense than that probably. The self driving uh, cars only kill people who are alive. You're correct. Correct. <laughs> they say they 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 don't sense the dead people. They just they they skirt around them. Um well uh we're going to go back uh, we're, we reached the the end of our show uh this week um and for another thing we're going to go with things this week because there were actually a couple of stories that i thought would be really fun to to cover and one of them's quick it's right after this one but um saw this and it sparked my my attention um so if you're looking to if you want to get a degree and you want to get something a little offbeat if you're looking to improve your botany skills 
uh, Cal State East Bay or Cal State Hayward formerly is offering a new program that you might want to take a look at. Well, new this morning, Cal State East Bay wants to make sure that licensed cannabis sellers have all the tools they need to abide by growing taxation and even insurance rules to stay legit. Today in the Bays, Chris Sanchez joins us with CSU's East Bay's very kind of unique program. Yeah, some parents might be getting uh, from their kids, hey, ma, I want to try this new uh, course at CSU East Bay, but it's totally legit. California cannabis growers account for about 20% of all of the legal marijuana in the country. The problem is California isn't producing as much as it used to. Some growers say it's just so complicated. Now take a look. Last year, California's legal sellers had about $5.3 billion in sales, which might seem like a lot, but that represents a more than 8% drop over the year before. California has just about a thousand legal dispensaries and some uh, growers have given up their licenses. Uh, the University of uh, Cal State East Bay is partnering with the training platform Greenflower to launch four different certificate programs. This includes healthcare and medicine, business, compliance and risk management, even agriculture and horticulture. Now, both sides say this partnership in the program comes in part to the response of heavy to heavy regulation that cannabis businesses face for operating in the state as the industry is trying to grow to meet the need. It's important that we realize that cannabis is not something to be afraid of. And California has always been the leader in that nationally and internationally. And so to bring these programs to trusted institutions like Cal State East Bay really shows you that the industry is here to stay. Uh, the first classes launch in November, so there is still time to enroll. The cost is just about $3,000. Uh, Greenflower says that upon completion of this coursework, students have the opportunity to apply to become legal cannabis growers. That's cool, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're looking for a, a, a major that's going to put you on the forefront of you know, future business, I, I say, why not? I do like that. I appreciate that. Like, can you imagine the conversation with your, your parents um, if they were if they were fronting the bill for your college, right? Hey, mom, dad, I've, uh, you know, kids ask all the time, like, can I be this when I grow up? Can I be an astronaut when I grow up? Can I be a police officer when I grow up? Or, oh, God, I hope not. Um, but you know what I mean? Uh, can I be a cannabis grower when I grow up? <laughs> well, it seems like these are more like certification programs than like yeah. a part of, even part of a four-year program. It seems like they're, more like it seems like i don't know i'd have to look into this because see this might this might actually be a grift who knows well there's there's also some it looks like there's also some uh you know economic uh educate like biz, business education right how to run a business um obviously there's, there's some things that are standard across all businesses but there's obviously things that are specific to the cannabis industry but it looks like they're, they're offering an opportunity for people to learn more about you know growing a bit growing pun intended a business um and work and managing and owning a business um and running their own business in addition to the the specifics of the cannabis trade so good on them i think this won't be the first won't be the last uh program we see um and uh it's it's good that to be honest i, I think it's good that the they're, they're they're moving in this direction because um the more the more standards you have and the, and the more uh, opportunity you have and the more accessibility you have by giving people the tools and the knowledge to succeed the better right the more it becomes it's this like 
weird, you know, amorphous, you know, thing that most people can't understand and wouldn't want to figure out, right? You restrict it to the, the bros, the tech bros who can afford to have all the lawyers and have all the business people and have the whole med, uh, med men setup going on, right? Um, the Kalivas and the eases. And you just, you, you don't, you don't make it accessible to the mom and pops anymore, literally. So, um, good on them for, we'll, we'll yet to be seen, right? If it is a grift or not, but, um, cause it looked like some of the people behind this particular program were a lot of the tech white bros. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm, 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 we'll see. We'll give it a year or two. Maybe we'll never check back in on this, but I have a, I'm getting, I'm, I'm incredibly cynical. So yeah, about, about always... the way real quick, I want to say that I think that a lot of the reason that the, the legal cannabis business is down. Um, it's because, I mean, and this is just anecdotal, but my, I myself and other people that I know, um, no longer bother with the dispensaries because we have other, uh, avenues through which to, uh, procure, uh, cannabis. Yeah. They're still probably uh, cheaper, easier and, and, uh, and just, you know, not safer necessarily, but it's certainly easier, cheaper, more, more convenient and don't involve paying like 20% tax to your local government, right. And state government. Um, right. Because the, the cost, I mean, I, I, I take advantage of delivery just because it's, it's convenient for me as a, a new dad. I just can't get out at all anymore. And I, I really don't, I don't, I can't get out to necessarily see my, my dude, um, and get, and get the, and get what I do it the way I used to. Um, but you look at the bill and it's like, yeah, you know, when I was in college, an eighth was like 45, 50 bucks and you're getting an eighth for, you know, you get an eighth for 15 bucks, but you're paying like $40 in tax on that eighth. So it's right. like the same, the same thing as, is buying it on the street too. So if they really wanted, you know, wanted to make it more accessible and, and really undercut the, the black market, they make it fundamentally cheaper than the black market. Um, and your name isn't on the list somewhere and you're not, you know, having well, to, I'm not concerned about the name on the list somewhere. It's just, it's yeah. just less convenient. And, um, oh, it's also not free, but I mean, not everybody's in the yeah. position I'm in where it's just fucking free. Like, right. Right. That's, that's, that is true. So, um, well, we've yet to be seen on this program, but, um, I think the more knowledge and information that's out there in general on how to run a business, I think would benefit people. I would, I certainly would have benefited from that myself regardless. I didn't go into cannabis, but just having that acumen would have really helped me. Right, we're right up against it here. So we're gonna one more story. If you're feeling down about down ballot, don't worry. This is a uh, this is a fucking baby giraffe. There you go. There's a newborn at the Oakland Zoo. Her name Aww. is Kendi, meaning loved one in Swahili. And while she arrived yesterday, she's already probably taller than you. This giraffe <laughs> is six foot five, a hundred and fifty pounds. Kendi is the first giraffe born at the zoo in 11 years. That story is one of the top things people are clicking on right now on our website, of course, because Kendi is so cute. It's up for you on the top news sidebar at abc7news.com. So sweet. I wish I knew what adorable was in Swahili. <laughs> oh, that would right? be a great one. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to look right. it up. Um, yeah, I, I, I watched my wife go through labor with the bad baby, um, and it looked pretty freaking painful and the bad baby was actually pretty small when she came out. She was a little early. Um, I cannot imagine having to squeeze a six foot five bony giraffe out of <laughs> yourself. Um, so kudos to mom giraffe, mama giraffe for that. That's amazing. It's taller than me already. Um, yep. Well, everybody, thanks for uh, checking out Down Ballot. I'm going to go ahead and read us out this week. Go for it, brother. Uh, you can find this show on any of your podcatchers and on a YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, whatever. Um, if you go to Rumble or Odyssey, don't click around anywhere, though, beside this podcast. Support this project at uh, eplex.store or patreon.com slash Other ways to support this project can be found 
at our website. Just click the support tab at the top at echoplexmedia.com. Thanks for joining me again this week, uh, Councilman. We're <clears throat> going to play a couple songs real quick. I'm going to change the color of the lights, change the content of my drink, and everybody, there's a night meeting of the fucking Shasta County Board of Supervisors going on right now. So I'm that's in. what we're going to be watching for uh, public comment this evening. Uh, <clears throat> podcast listeners, sorry. Later, Councilman. Enjoy. This is Audible Smoke Signal. The song is called Locals, and I'll be back in a few minutes. Peace out. <laughs> To get the party started Pick up my phone just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice for the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car just to get to where they are Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage waiting for MTV Where are those guys who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing Queen Now get the fuck up on stage and rock the scene yeah. We do what we want and what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Enjoy that band I turn and head back to the bar For a refill, man, because you know where we are We're headed out to the car to smoke another one, what? and another one Woo! Now just when the magic starts kicking in Now here we left playing, you know it's time to head in Alright everybody, now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it, and then pass it to me, yeah. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want, what we want to do what we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band, enjoy that band. Last up on the field for the show tonight, it's down and dirty and five, so we're headed outside to spark up another joint. Now who's got my lighter? Stoner E, of course, shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch, being who I gotta be. I'm fucked up like the U.S. economy. The truth is, is that I don't think logically. Stoner E, take you on a psychedelic odyssey. Now inside motherfuckers is rocking me And outside shit we smoke a lot of broccoli Rocky the roller, you're the sexy girl be jocking me Ain't too drunk to fuck but I'll probably do a sloppily We do what we want, what we wanna do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want and what we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band. Molly say the heat like jamming and they hope it like jamming too. Well, I gotta say, thank you, Bob. We do, yes, I gotta say, thank you, Bob. We do. Well, Bob Molly say the heat like jamming and he hope it like jamming too. Well, I gotta say, thank you, Bob. We do, yes, I gotta say, thank you, Bob. We do. So sit back
Can't get enough Echoplex and want to keep the conversation going with the hosts and community when we're not live? Then join our Discord server at discord.me slash Echoplex. We have text channels, voice channels, meme repositories, and a whole section of screenshots that we don't even remember where they came from. Come join the Now Space on Discord at discord.me slash Echoplex.